Zeke's Pizza. <laughs> I'd like a uh, a large extra. I don't even know. I don't. I don't know. I need to get my Zeke's menu and figure it out. You really need to get your act together. You call me high maintenance, and yet you're in town. You're f- yeah. you're two minutes away. You can't even come hang with your your guy. Yeah. And 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 you're calling me high maintenance. What? First of all, what what ha- did London throw you? Did they throw you out of the country? Did you did you try to storm the the guards? The changing of the guards. <laughs> yeah. what, what happened? I, I'm literally calling you, having just got off a ten hour flight, and you're giving me grief. No, I'm not giving you you're grief. Give, I just want to know giving me grief. why are you not calling me? I'm sitting here all day next to the microphone with the bell, waiting for your yeah. phone call, waiting for your yeah. texts, waiting for your tweets. I'm expecting that you're going to be in London, and all of a sudden, I get a call that you're you're in Seattle a day early, and I just yeah. I just don't think you completed your work. You, there's more work to be done in London. No, no, I did, I did. There was a I could I got on the afternoon flight instead of the what well the tomorrow morning flight that would be leaving here shortly. You know, you're, you're not yourself. You need a, Snick- I'm not. you need a Milky Way or a Snickers bar, whatever I, that commercial is. I, I do. <laughs> I do. What's going on, Mitch Levy? It's episode number 15 and we're rolling it, season one, episode number 15. And I got myself to thinking, when does the season turn over to two? When does it become season number two? Do you think? Oh, that's a good question. There's typically about 30 games in college basketball. So, you know, I don't know. There's, on, what is it? there's only 16 in, in the NFL. In NFL, right? yeah. yeah. I, I, was equa- I was equating it more to like TV shows, you know, episode, season one, season two. When you go on Netflix, I don't know if you're on Netflix, do you want to watch 13. season two? I don't know. I don't know. How long, how, how long until I decide it's season? You know, you and I have the ultimate power on this. We can make it season two right now. It could be season two, episode one right now if you wanted it to do be. Do you want to do that? No. Okay. Well, then I think we should collaborate on that and, and have a conversation and, and flip the page to season two okay. whenever season two becomes re- you know you're ready for season two. I'm not. I'm not. I'm personally, I'm not ready for season two. Yet. Well, ask me why I don't want to do that. Ask me why. Why do you not want to do that? I have absolutely no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. What do yeah. I know? Well, it's episode number fifteen. It's uh, it's season number one. We ask everybody if they've subscribed yet. Have you rated us on iTunes? Have you gone back and listened for a few minutes to the episodes that you've missed, like we've asked? If the answers are yes, 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 and I hope that the answers are yes, yes, yes. Uh, if there's a no stuck in there, then come on, help us out. If you'd like to see us succeed long term, we need Mitch Unfiltered listeners' help. Subscribe. Mm-hmm. Rate us, and by all means, if you haven't at least listened for a few minutes to each of the 15 episodes, go back. You don't have to listen to the whole thing. Check us out, and it will help the longevity of Mitch Unfiltered. Also, by the way, Jason, we are Mm -hmm. closing in on 1,000 Mitch Unfiltered patrons. 1,000. 1,000. We're on our way to 1,000 patrons, which is amazing. It's not a must but we would love to have you as a patron, which allows you to hear the extra podcasts we do, like the one we did last night, the late night call from London. And I can honestly say in all the years that I know you, I've never heard you lose it <laughs> quite the way you lost it in the patron only episode last night. And we're going to, we're going to start there once we actually start, we haven't started the show yet. So once oh, we start okay. the show, we'll start there. Okay. All, all right. right? Uh, Sir yeah. Jason Hamilton is now no longer in London. He's in Bellevue. Jason Lockenfora 
has some very interesting thoughts about Russell Wilson and the Seahawks, plus our picks for the AFC-NFC championship games. I'm 6-2 and two against the spread, nice. Jason Hamilton. 6-2 and two nice. against the spread in the first eight. And, by the way, the first ever appearance on Mitch Unfiltered from my old friend Greg Bell, who's now not only the Tacoma News Tribune Seahawks guy, but he's the newly minted Washington sports writer of the year, just announced yesterday. Quality human being, that guy. He's great, and I can promise you that if you are a Seahawk fan, and most of our listeners are, you're not going to want to miss the 23, 24, 26-minute conversation uh, with Greg Bell about the Seahawks season, offseason, and all the things that follow. Mitch Unfiltered episode number 15 is made possible by Daniel's Broiler for Valentine's Day, Jagland Rover of Bellevue and Zeke's Pizza. I have decided to watch the Super Bowl at Zeke's new Capitol Hill location, 1830 East Mercer Street, and I'm really hoping that you will join, Jason, as I am hoping that all of our listeners or as many of the listeners as possible can come out, have some pizza and beer with me, and allow me to thank you for helping make this little podcast journey get off to a great start. Are you ready to start episode 15, Jay Ham? I am. Let's do it. All right. Here it comes. Unfiltered. It's okay to have a game plan going in, but when you're so stubborn and unwilling to get away from it because the other team is essentially daring you to do so, then we get into stupidity. Unfiltered. Guess that's what really kind of infuriates me that we go to the offseason after a game that the quarterback was really not given a chance to win the football game for you. That's a quarterback who's the face of the organization. That's a quarterback who, as I say, in a couple of years or in a year, they're going to give, I don't know, $25, $30 million a year to. And yet it just feels to me like they took the ball out of his hands. Mitch is unfiltered. All right, let's clean something up right out of the gate. And I don't mean to clean up Jim Beheim's pants. I mean to clean up the uh, the discussion, the discussion of Jim Beheim's pants. Because late last night, we did a patrons-only episode, late London phone call. And we talked yep. about not only Syracuse's win at Duke, but the thing that was making the rounds on social media, uh, Jim Beheim having a little accident and mm-hmm. you and I started to laugh, and I think you and I both agree, even though I'm not a huge Jim Beheim fan, and I even said this on Twitter earlier in the day and the previous day, which is, come on, let's give the guy a break. He's a prostate cancer survivor. I think he's 74 years old. I'm not one to give Jim Beheim many breaks, but in this case I was, and you were in agreement, although we started to giggle, and then you started to laugh, and there was really no stopping your laugh. I mean, and then I started to laugh because you couldn't stop laughing, and yeah. you know I think we should clear up how we feel about Jim Beheim's little accident on the on the sideline against Duke. Well, first of all, for for those and probably there there could be plenty of people who uh, will be listening to this episode and not have would have heard what we were talking about last night. Um, you you got to remember and start with the fact that I didn't know what you were talking about, right? <laughs> I, right. I hadn't seen it. That's right. Uh, you were just describing something that happened, and um, obviously that's a 
a very unfortunate thing for Jim Beheim to, to have to go through an experience publicly. Now, the reason I lost it had nothing really to do at all with Jim Beheim or him peeing in his pants. It had everything to do with your description right. of the incident and me not being able to control my laughter of what you were doing. And I, I just, I tried to reset. I, I actually haven't heard whether or not you edited out my, okay, let's restart. Or did you leave all that in? I, I don't I left, know. I left everything in. I left you, everything Okay. In. You were laughing. So you I was it. laughing. Now you said peeing in his pants. And that's what one of the things we were laughing about, because I was asking you the question, when did it become fashionable when somebody pees in their Correct. pants to call it peeing his pants, to take the in out? When I was right. a kid, it was always peeing in his pants, pooping in his pants. But somewhere yeah. along the line, it became he peed his pants and he pooped his pants. As a, and some, like we needed to shorten it, like it was taking too long to say pee in the pants. That was entirely yeah. too long for us to do. So you have to take yeah. a, a word out. We had to abridge it in some way. And um, we started to laugh about that. And you just actually said it. You said peed in his pants as opposed to peed his pants. Yeah, peed in his pants. Yeah. And so I, I, I mean, and I also said in that episode, the Patriot episode, how ridiculous the conversation was. But I couldn't stop. I, I couldn't stop after we started to think about the fact that we were talking about the semantics of peeing in his pants or peed his pants. And basically it took me two minutes to to recover, I think, yes. and uh, actually give you an answer, which yes. uh, I don't know what the reaction was because I just literally landed. Was there, <laughs> did people think we were laughing at Jim Beheim? Well, I think a, a couple of people will put off, look, the whole world is laughing at Jim Beheim. I mean, social media can be really harsh that way, and yeah. I don't know. Uh, I don't want to make every story and every situation about my family, but I don't know how many people have had family members that have gotten old and gotten sick and, you know, had accidents. It happens. And I'm not saying sure. that Jim Beheim is old or sick. He's yeah. 74 years old, and he's a prostate cancer survivor. And I love so taking my, shots. So is, so is my father. There you go. Yeah. So you know you know where to stand. So I just thought yeah. social media was being a little bit harsh on him. He had just won. Yeah. He had just won a game at Duke against the number one team in the country. It was a big win. And the, the conversation afterward was all about his pants and the pictures and the video and all that. And you started to laugh and it wasn't, you weren't laughing at him, but when you started to laugh, you couldn't, you realize you couldn't stop. You were, you were trying to stop, but you couldn't stop uh, laughing. And then I thought that was, was, the I thought that was the funniest thing. And then it was like, you know, it was, <laughs> there was just no stopping us at that particular point. Yeah. But most of the people listening right now didn't hear it because they're not patrons and right. uh, therefore, we don't have to worry about it. You know, what Jim Beheim did, I found interesting as we segue to the next topic. You, There's no way you know about this. You might find it interesting. You and I have been talking about Vegas and betting and lines for episodes mm -hmm. and episodes. When they went to their pregame meeting, Syracuse, right before the Duke game in Durham, North Carolina, their, I think it was a pregame meal, he had on the on the chalkboard... 17-point underdogs. Really? Yeah. Wow. And That's so, different. I yeah. mean, I've been around college basketball and basketball a long time. Not as long as Jim Beheim, but yeah. a long time. And I've never seen a coach put the betting line. Uh, that's interesting. Yeah. It was either 17, and it might have even been 19 if I have it wrong. But the point yeah. is, is that the kids walked into the room and saw 
and and Jim Beheim just said, just pointed his finger up at the board. He said, this is what people think of your team right now. This is what people think of you guys right now. It served as motivation. And I bring that up only because now there's a story today, Jay Ham, about Julian Edelman of the New England Patriots. Uh-huh. So the Patriots are not custom to be uh, underdogs in any game, let alone a playoff game. And they're three, sure. three, three and a half point underdogs in Kansas City for the AFC Championship game. And Edelman posted a tweet that said, hashtag, bet against us. And then he followed with a link selling T-shirts that say, bet against us with the silhouette of a Patriots logo. Wow. So... The use of the use of lines and Vegas wagering now yeah. becoming prevalent in motivational tactics with college basketball and NFL football teams. It's interesting. I mean, I mean, we, we've been talking about this, and obviously coming back from London, where you know there's a Ladbrokes uh, betting house on seemingly every corner in the UK um, and, and prevalent in Europe. Of course, it's it's amazing. It's a, I guess it's amazing. I, I guess it's amazing. How and I'm not a gambler. We've talked about this as well, but how slow the U.S. has been to adopt and legalize gambling. And I know the NBA is starting to move in that direction, and other other leagues are. But yeah, you're right. I mean, you know, lines and the conversation about lines and betting is is I think it's here to stay, and people are going to keep talking about it. Yeah, yeah, it is, and it's going to get louder and louder. It's already getting loud. Obviously, different states now have started to regulate. Um, gambling. And by the way, st- speaking of regulating gambling, you know that I'm doing the uh, I'm doing the Super Bowl at Zeke's. I may bring yep. I may bring the kids. I don't know who's coming, but we're we're gonna uh, we're gonna do the Super Bowl at Zeke's. I'm hoping. Uh, my fingers are crossed that you'll join us. Watch the Super yep. Bowl from their new Capitol Hill location. And I was thinking about doing doing some sort of a pool for all of the listeners of Mitch Unfilter that are willing to come down and spend some time with us. And I found out something that I never knew, and I'm sure you didn't know because you don't follow it, but I'm wondering if anybody knew. I was looking up the other day the wagering laws in the state of Washington. I know that it's illegal to bet with a bookie or to bet online, but I just wanted to read the law. Yeah. And here's what I found. In 1973, when the Gambling Act of Washington was first passed, 1973, what year were you born? Four. 100 square sports pool boards were authorized. You know, the squares, the 100 yeah, square yeah, yeah, boards. Yeah. yeah. It turns out that it's actually written in Washington law that that is the only legalized form of wagering. 100 square sports pool boards, the, the squares with the scores yeah. at the end of the quarter. Yeah each, yeah. each business or individual, I'm reading it to you, each business or individual may offer only one board, on any single athletic event, the board must be divided into 100 squares. You may charge up to $1 per square. Wow. Each player must be charged the same entry fee. Each player picks a square and their name is written in the square. Numbers representing game scores are randomly assigned to each square. As soon as you go over $1 per square in the pool, it becomes illegal. If there are any other number of squares besides 100, it's illegal. And if you have more than one board per sporting event, it's illegal. So we are allowed by law at Zeke's 
to have one yeah. $100 square board. Now, if I made it $2 per square, I guess I could get in trouble. Yeah, of course. I mean, <laughs> you've got to you got to play by the rules, man. I, uh, I thought you were going to add something there, but of course you do. You've now, especially now that you've read the law and you're telling people this is what is legal. Of course you do. I don't know. <laughs> I want more than a dollar. <laughs> I want I like more than this. a dollar. I don't know. I want more than a dollar per, yeah, per square. Yeah, of course. I mean, it's more fun that way. You shouldn't have read the shouldn't have read the law. <laughs> What? What am I gonna? I'm gonna plead ignorance when the when they they bust into Zeke's Capitol Hill. You could have five minutes ago. <laughs> now you can't. And a lot of good that would have done, by the way. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, one uh, one last thing for this segment before we get to um, Jason Lock and Fora with some Russell Wilson conversation that everybody is gonna want to hear. Some really really thoughtful Russell Wilson negotiating conversation. Some information that. Jason Lockenfora has, and then Greg Bell is going to be with us from the Tacoma News Tribune. He is Washington State Sports Writer of the Year and covers the Seahawks better than anybody, just about anybody. Um, he and Bob Condota, the Seattle Times, do anyway. Uh, Jalen Hurts, did you hear the news today? Or are we on the plane and oblivious to the news? Oblivious. What happened? Transfer. I, mean, I know he's transferring. Where's where he going? Oklahoma. Really? Yeah. Wow. So... So he's going to start for Oklahoma next year. Oklahoma was 16-1, to 1, speaking of odds, to win the national championship next year. Until today, they went down to, I think, 7-1 to 1 in certain places when Jalen Hurts signed up to play for Oklahoma. And how about Jalen Hurts and Oklahoma against Alabama in the national semifinals next year? How would you like to see that? I mean, uh, you do want to talk about just monster storylines, uh, you know, <laughs> That would be epic for Jalen Hurts to go against his former team and Nick Saban, and obviously Clemson is still in the mix with with uh, their young freshman quarterback going to be a sophomore. I mean, there's a lot of good teams, and oof, that would be that would be something else. Now, that being said, it would basically be a replay of what we just watched this past Final Four, essentially, but without Notre Dame in the mix. But Jalen Hurts. I'm 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 interested to see what he's going to do there. That that that's going to be good. I'd love to see him play against Alabama. Valentine's Day. Now, why in the world would I bring up Valentine's Day nearly a month early? Well, if you want to take your loved one on a truly special occasion restaurant, you kind of can't wait until the week before. Daniel's Broiler now with four locations. Lindsay Schwartz tweeted us that Bellevue's already sold out, but with some availability on the following weekend, Leshy, South Lake Union, and the brand new location at the Hyatt Regency in downtown have limited reservations available. But my guess is by the time we get to our next episode of Mitch Unfiltered, they'll be booked too on Valentine's Day Thursday. If you're open to trying something new, I obviously heartily recommend trying out the new Daniels at the Hyatt Regency. I can't tell you how many people have tweeted me pictures of anniversary dinners or other special occasions at Daniels, adding that they wanted to support the people that supported my return. It's been very touching. So remember, when you attend Daniels, one of our charter sponsors, you're not only getting the best meal in Seattle, but you're also directly supporting this podcast locally owned by the Schwartz family and now located at South Lake Union, Leshy Marina, Bellevue Place and the new downtown Hyatt Regency, Daniel's Broiler, world-class steakhouses. Unfiltered. AFC and NFC championship games coming. 
this weekend, and here he is, Jason Locken for The Big Bet is on, Jason, and we are close. We are separated by one single game. You did very well. You've done very well. I've done one game better than you. I think I'm six and two in the eight games against the spread. You're five and three in the eight games against the spread. The Colts Colts killed me. The Colts killed me. Yeah, yeah. There was no suspense there, so you didn't have to worry about that. They didn't show up. They didn't get off the bus, yeah. (laughs) Uh, So we'll we'll make our picks here in a few moments. Uh, First, update us on... Some of the other stuff, and I want to throw at you what Joel Corey said on uh, podcast number, episode number, I guess it was 14, uh, about Russell Wilson. Uh, update us on the Dolphins' search. Have they figured it out? And everybody's saying that the Bengals are going to take this guy. I guess he's the quarterback's coach of the Rams after the Rams are eliminated, whenever yeah. that should be. So pick up the story there. Yeah, I mean, basically at this point, you're kind of in limbo waiting for seasons to end. Um the Dolphins will hire Brian Flores, the Patriots' defensive coordinator. Good hire. Uh, there's, there's, yeah, yeah, I get it. I mean, he's look, Chris Greer, their young GM. His dad worked for the Patriots for years. Chris got his part with the Patriots. There's, you, you might as well try to pick off the bully on the block. At some point, you're going to have to get around them if you're going to be getting back into the playoffs with any regularity. Uh, I can understand the, the want to go defense after having gone offense several times in the past. Um, remember, they, they picked Philbin over Todd Bowles, right? And Todd yes. had been their interim guy and yes. done a really good job there. You know, you had Dan Campbell as an interim coach, you know, do, coach out a lot of games there. Um, now we've had three years of Adam Gay. So I understand going the opposite way. Um, look, I still think that owner has got his eye on both Harbaugh's. And if John, Har- John Harbaugh doesn't have an extension, now five weeks or whatever after the Ravens' BS uh, press release uh, in week 16, he yeah. still doesn't have – they're not even talking contract. Yeah. If John Harbaugh was to be a coaching free agent next year, teams would blow up their front offices left and right to get him. If you had to give him no compensation and he's just sitting out there, and then Jim Harbaugh, you know, in Ann Arbor, obviously there's an allure there. So I understand – Miami kind of going young and cheap and and you know keep they'll be able to have their options open next year if that owner decides he needs to do something on a much grander scale um, Cincinnati I, I I know that they really like Zach Taylor but they haven't expressed that to him or his agent they haven't um, begun any sort of even quasi negotiations and you know the Bengals sometimes come in really cheap and Zach Taylor with all these guys less accomplished than him getting jobs this year he could be the bully on the block next year so I would just throw the caveat out there that like that thing like there's no guarantees in life like Josh McDaniels in Indianapolis last year Um, so I don't entirely rule out Eric Biennemi being a possibility there if negotiations with Zach Taylor were to go sideways before you move on, I may be the only guy who cares about this, but if the Dolphins are hiring Flores, then who's going to run the offense? And uh, is 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 Tannehill's are Tannehill's days numbered, or does he get another yeah. shot? No, I think his days are probably numbered. Um, you know, if I'm if I'm them, I'm taking. I'm, I want to bring Teddy Bridgewater back home. I want to I want to roll with that for a couple of years as my really uh, ooh. I don't know. Huh? Who else? Well, dude, look, the time to get a quarterback was last year. I mean, they, they should have made their move last year. But now, five of them went in the first round. You had Cousins and Alex Smith and Tyrod Taylor and all these guys changing, Case Keenum, all these guys changing hands. I mean, the quarterbacks are Flacco, Foles. 
And that, those, you know, one of those is probably through trade. I don't know if there's enough team that want them to have more than one trade for them. Uh, you know, Bortles, I mean, it's Tannehill, it's Tyrod Taylor, I mean, it's Bridgewater, like, it's Sam Bradford. Like, there, it's, it, the, the pool is very shallow. So, how about Foles? Uh, I like Foles. I mean, I don't know. I don't know that Foles gets through a whole season. You know, I think Foles has been able to have these situations where he can run a sprint rather than a marathon. I don't know if he can run a marathon at this stage of his career. I'm not sure that's who he is. Not super athletic. Um, as the hits accumulate, I don't know how that looks. Um, but, yeah, I mean, look, it could, be, it, it, it could be Foles or Flacco. I think one of them, there's a good chance, is going to end up in Jacksonville. And the other one may end up in Miami. Um, but running the offense, I think Jim Caldwell will have a big say in that, which I, I think makes a lot of sense. And uh, he's done a good job with quarterbacks. And, and it's not going to be super sexy, but he also wins a lot of football games. And he'll be a, a real beacon and sounding board for uh, for Flores. So, okay. you know, we'll, okay. we'll see. they got a ways, okay. they got a ways to go down there. All right. Uh, I had your buddy Joel Corey, who does great work for CBSSports.com. Mm-hmm. We had him on the last the last episode, and we talked a lot about Russell Wilson, and uh, he floated the number $35 million or more per year. Oh, definitely. Uh, and uh, I asked about a hometown discount. I asked about a Tom Brady help at the salary cap, and he <laughs> laughed. at the, the Joel Corey laugh was both sinister and revealing at the same time when I asked him that. Um, he's got one more year, does Russell Wilson. He's got baseball agents. It's, uh, it's an interesting story. I think everybody – in the Pacific Northwest and Seahawks fans around the, the world are probably thinking, oh, it's Russell Wilson. He wants to play for the Seahawks. He's not going to do anything to, to, to tip the boat over. He'll take the 30 or $35 million and it'll be easy one way or the other, either this year or after next. What, what's your sense on this getting dicey or not getting dicey? I will go back to some stuff I wrote probably over a year ago or around a year ago. Yep. And then uh, some stuff I wrote in the spring. Um, I, if, if you think Russell Wilson is Aaron Rodgers or anything close to it, and you're going to pay Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers money, I don't know why you're not doing the same thing Green Bay is doing for Aaron Rodgers when they're doing it for Aaron Rodgers. If the contracts expire at the same time. Uh, what are they doing? Well, a year ago, I mean, a year ago, last year's Super Bowl, they would, you know, I mean, it was pretty clear. Mark Murphy, every interview, Aaron Rodgers, 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 Aaron Rodgers getting done, Aaron Rodgers getting done, Aaron Rodgers getting done. You know, I mean, the whole football world knew that Aaron Rodgers was going to shatter what anybody had ever made before, well before he actually finally did so, before the season began. Russell Wilson played out that year. You know what I mean? Both contracts, it's the same thing. So one team lets a guy play out and get close to the lame duck year, and the uh, the other team tears it up and does a new deal for him. So is that because is that because, is and, that because of the team didn't want to do it, or the player didn't want to hear about it until he got closer to the free agency? Which one or both? No, there was never a conversation. I mean, guys, the, the guy, Russell Wilson's not going to call you and say, "Please, please, please, resign me." That's not how it works. But there were ne- there was never a single conversation to take his temperature. So I was just sitting there saying, mm, "That's interesting." You know, that's. I don't that that's not how Matt Ryan's being treated. It's not, and I'm not saying right, wrong, or indifferent. I'm just saying to me that was much more noteworthy than I think maybe a lot of people thought it was. 
Are you infer- so are you are you inferring? I was of the mind that they should have been re-recruiting him, mind, body, and soul holistically. At the time, Richard Sherman and all these guys are are behind five thousand word pieces in SI, kind of systematically tearing him down, and nobody's really responding, and there's no organizational response in the piece, and it's just a bunch of no comments. I would think, at least behind the scenes, um, you know, Paul Allen or Pete Carroll or somebody would have been putting a little cocoon around the, around him and just letting him know that all that is noise and we see what's going on with Aaron Rodgers and we're going to get you there too. How do you know and that? Just, and you know for sure that didn't happen. I, I do not know of any of that taking place. And so is your inference that the Seahawks aren't I'm as convinced? I'm not anything. Okay. It sounds like you're inferring saying, that it sounds like you're inferring that the Seahawks might not well, be Well, you asked completely. if it was going to be easy, right? That's yeah. how we got into this line of questioning and I I'm like, well, if you think it's going to be that easy and if it's that much of a no-brainer, I would think you might be going the Green Bay way. That's not how it went. He played out the whole year. He ends up being, you know, and then whatever, a top 10 uh, yeah. a top yeah. 10 MVP candidate. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it is what it is. The numbers are what they are. They get farther than people thought they would. The quarterback market's changed dramatically. The cap's going up exponentially. In the meantime, Kirk Cousins, who's, you know, I don't know, 40% of Russell Wilson, got $84 million fully guaranteed and, and, only, and only had to submit, you know, give up three years of his service time to do so. And nobody ever hits the free market, right? I mean, the reason salaries stay down is, by and large, Guys don't hit the market, and after two tags, Cousins did. And despite him being like four and twenty against teams with winning records and having no playoff pedigree, and not ever really doing the things Russell Wilson's done, that's what he got. So now we're one year closer to all that playing out, and I don't, I don't know that anybody knows where it's going. But if you're Russell Wilson, you don't have to do anything. You know what I mean? Like, you don't have to set a number. You don't have to – your agent doesn't have to come in guns ablaze and say, this is what we want, this is what we want. It is what it is. The market has moved how it's moved, and everybody knows that. And, I mean, like, I don't even know that you could say what his market is because it just doesn't happen. You know what I mean? Like, even Cousins isn't this guy. Like, if this guy was on the open market, what would he get? You know? Why does – why do – you know, why is Scott Boris considered a super agent? He takes guys to the market. Everybody gets to the market. But he's three. But, but he is three early. years. But but Russell Wilson is just for people who don't follow this as closely as you do, Jason. He is essentially three years from getting to the open market. If the Seahawks want to make it that way, right? He would be. He would be one year. It would be one year left on his contract. Franchise year number one, and then franchise year number two. Correct. Yeah. You could, yeah, I mean, and they again, hit, now, you, but each okay. franchise year, the money's now getting astronomical. Right. You know what I mean? You're giving a 20% raise on top of $35 million, and you're buying no future service time to do it. And so you're, then that and brings so you back to the calculus right, of yeah. does this make sense? Right. If we're not, so wait, if we're not willing to give 95 for three with nothing on the back end in terms of just make him that offer right now or 100 for whatever, three, I don't know. I mean, Cousins got 84 for three, and he's not half of this guy. So if we're not willing to go there and we're not with getting some back end, then going year to year with Russell Wilson, I don't, I don't know what it, if it makes sense. I mean, if Khalil Mack fetched what he fetched, like, again, I, if you just collect all this empirical evidence 
right? All this, all these data points from what guys are fetching in trade. Amari Cooper, get you get a one for Amari Cooper in the middle of the season. What, what would you get for Russell Wilson? So when I wrote what I wrote before the season, I know it was real easy for everybody up there to scoff at me. But, like, if you never really know what you're worth until you get to a point where, out of 32 teams, what, 18? If, if Russell Wilson's on the open market right now, how many teams would S-can their quarterback to grab him? So you've got teams that need quarterbacks plus teams that think he's – like, what would the New York Giants do? You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I don't think that there's who any would, question about that. There's no debate in it. Everybody, everybody would be interested in it. But, but how, do, how does he get there? That's what I want to know. What's well, the they, process of him getting there? He doesn't have to do anything. It's how do they keep it? How, how, I mean, I think people are looking at it the wrong way. Like, I'll go back to what I said about John Harbaugh. If I'm John Harbaugh, I'm not thinking about an extension with the Ravens right now. I'm like, I'll find out what every college program and, and every NFL program thinks of me in 11 months from now. So if I'm Russell, and it's, it's, just, it's just business. Like, it, to me, that's just smart. It's just savvy. If, I'm a, if I was in baseball, if I was a football agent, I would be trying to get my players to the market with the same vigor that baseball agents do. Now, the franchise tag makes it more difficult, but once you start going down that road, the team's got a decision to make. Um, do we let this guy leave in three years and get a third-round comp pick for him, or do we get two ones and two threes right now? If we're not willing to pay, you know what I mean? Or if we just don't think it's shrewd business. And it's not personal, you know, in this hypothetical on their side either. But, you know, where are the mesh points and what really makes sense? And, I mean, even if it was like whatever you think is totally outrageous. I mean, I'm just making up a number here. Um, 160 for four. Like, you could make the case if you're Russell Wilson. If the other guy got 84 for three, like, even if it's $40 million a year for four years, okay, that, that I, I would think is crazy enough that he would sign. But you, I'm sure somebody out there could run an, an economic breakdown of this and say you're still smarter going to the market. Let them, let them you know what I mean, let them, let them franchise you twice and then go to the market, and you'll still get more than that. Assuming health is the big issue. That's right. He obviously never misses a snap. Now, that could change. But I think it's a much more interesting, not sort of this just knee-jerk slam dunk, like it's automatic for both parties. I, I don't know that it is. I think he will, if it I is, think, yeah. why hasn't it happened yet? I think he will sign, and I don't have any information. This is just a gut. I think before the first regular season game of 2019, Russell Wilson will sign the most lucrative quarterback contract. In the, I guess it would be the most lucrative contract in the history of the National Football League. He'll get all the money, a lot of money up front. He'll get all the guaranteed money that you're talking about. It'll be more than anybody's ever gotten before, and he won't play his lame duck season as a lame duck. That's what I think. Well, that would be, I mean, yeah, that would, that would, that would be great for all parties. But I guess it's, it's also, though, if you're him from a football standpoint, do you, do you feel like you're going to be able to blossom and be everything you could be you know what I mean? With Brian Schottenheimer not letting you play in a playoff game. Uh, well, there's another conversation, and that's probably you know what I'm saying? <laughs> that's so another conversation. All that's intertwined. You yeah. know what I mean? So yeah. it's it's you know I I think it's like this. That's why I'll go back to sort of the re-recruit and the holistic thing, like coming in with a blueprint and okay, we get it, and this we you know what I mean? And he, here's the plan on the field. Here's the plan off the field. This this is where we're going, and here's how you're a part of it, and here's how you're a part of it, even when Pete's not here anymore because nobody coaches forever. Um, you know, we'll see. They've got they've got time to do that, but the market, you know, it it just keeps it just keeps escalating exponentially. And I I just thought it was odd that this wasn't 
none of these discussions were going on, you know what I mean, last year through that entire offseason. It just always struck me as at least worth noting that this is not playing out the way it's playing out with, you know, other franchise quarterbacks. I mean, Matt Ryan's not I mean, Matt Ryan and Russell Wilson, come on. Matt Ryan's not Russell Wilson. Matt Ryan's not even close to being Russell Wilson. But, you know, he that they bent over backwards and mortgaged everything, and that gave that guy, you know, the guarantees on that contract are ridiculous. I mean, he makes $75 million, something like that, in the first two years alone. I mean, guarantees into year three and year four. You're piggy, now you're, you're downwind of all that now. Like, that's all, that's happened. Yeah. And you've, and, and you've still got the better quarterback, but he's only got one year left. Jason Lockenfor, CBS NFL Insider. Let's make the picks. Um, if this were a golf match in golf vernacular and we were playing a match play, you'd be one down through the 15th hole. You've got 16, 17, and 18. 16 and 17 are the uh, the championship games this weekend, and 18 is the Super Bowl. So We're not doing the Pro Bowl? No, we're not doing the Pro Bowl. Okay. Um, so, uh, I, I think you're in good shape. I'm in better shape, Who but I think the, you're in good shape. You should pick first since you have the lead. How sure. does that work? Whatever you, you want. First. I want whatever you want. Do you want me to help would work in golf or that's not even a golf thing? Or well, I don't know. well, whoever won the previous hole would go first. So I guess I won the previous hole. Okay. Does All that, right. does that mean you want me to go first on both of them or one of them? And no, if it's you one... pick, you were good. Strategically, you pick the one you feel best about. You, you take your best cut. Okay, and then you're going to go the other way, so you're guaranteed of a. I may, a... <laughs> I may block or I may not, or, or I may go with you, and then I take. If you haven't taken my best cut, then I yeah. take my best cut on the next game. Okay, well, I'm least I'm 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 least sure if that's such a phrase uh, of the of the AFC game. So, so. I'm staring at a three and a half point spread. Now we're going to use three and a half on the Saints and the Rams. That works. Um, okay. That that extra half bothers me because they call it the yeah. hook. That's the hook. Um, yeah. I just think the Saints are going to go to the Super Bowl. So I'm going to take the Saints and lay the three and a half to the Rams in the NFC Championship game, which is the first game to be played on Sunday. Uh, I'll lay the three and a half. Drew Brees minus the three and a half. Your choice. Okay. I will. I was going to go that way as well. So I will. Uh, so how does this work? I get to pick. I get to pick this one, and then I still get to pick the next game. Or can I not give my answer to that one and just give what I want to do on another game? You can do anything. We're gonna let me. I'm gonna let you make very the rules. Conf- this has become very confusing now that we're down to like the strategic no, part of it. There's no, there's nothing confusing. You want to know why? Because I'm why? giving. I'm la- I'm letting you choose. You can do whatever you want, and I will I do, do whatever, whatever I want. want. Yes. Okay. Then I'm going to block. I'm going to go. I want New England and the points. Okay, but do you want to tell me what you want in the Rams Saints game, or you don't want to tell me that? I, well, I didn't know if that used my turn. If that uses my turn, no. I don't want to do that now. No, because I, I was going to agree with you. I'll tell you what; I'll go first both Which times. That opens you up to I'll have go, first shot at the other game. I'll, t- I'll tell you what, so that you have you are whatever you want. I'll go first both times, or I'll go second and first, or second. No, I don't, and second. Well, I don't want you to be able to go first both times because okay. you might end up boxing me out. Okay, so you're taking the Patriots. I'll take the Patriots and. And the points, yeah. So give me three and a half. No, no. Or not you, because you might take them as well. No, no, no. No, no, no. The, the, the line is three in the Patriots. It's three and a I'll half. Go, it's I'll, three, it's go, I'll take the points. Okay. I'll take the points. All right, so you've got the Patriots plus the points. Yeah. Uh, I've got the Saints minus the points. This is kind of confusing to me. All right, I will yeah. take um, – oh, I could open the door for you right here. 
Well, that's see, that's what I'm getting at. I don't. I, mean, I got now that I have a game to make up. I don't know what's the most egalitarian way to go about this. The the best way to go I about it. I should have picked first. I probably should have picked first. No, no. Then you still it really wouldn't have mattered because then you still could have blocked me. You could still block me every time, right? So I don't even know how this should work anymore. You're you're way you could conceivably just play defense. No, I can't. If you make me go first on each pick, you have the choice of either staying with what I choose or going the opposite direction well, and give yourself a chance. Or you force me to go oppo, but get me out of what I really want to do. Yeah, that's right. That's the way it works. Yeah, you're, hey, we, you're behind. I'm not behind. You're the one who you know, right. dug okay, the hole. Okay, so I'm saying, give me the, give me, I'll, I'll do the Patriots. Now you counter however you want to count it. Okay. I'm going to take, I'll take the two home teams. So now you've taken Kansas City. Yep. I've taken Kansas City so and New Orleans. I'm going to, I'll just take that. I'll try to make it even because I, I like, I like, uh, I like this. Well, three and a half, though. I'll, I'll keep it interesting. Give me the Rams. Okay, you're taking. I'll the, take the three and a half. All right, because we've lost everybody in the audience. Let's let's <laughs> recap. Ram, you've got the Ram, You've got both road teams plus points. You've got the Rams plus yes. three and a half, and you've got the Patriots yep. plus three. And I've got both home teams: the Saints minus three and, and a half, Chiefs. and the Chiefs minus three. Now, the last question is. If the Chiefs and the Rams both I win, taken the you can change. Yeah. You want to change? Nah, whatever. It's up to you. No, Make- no, it's good. Okay. This is better theater, I think. Okay. All right. Um, the last question is if the Rams win and the Chiefs win, do you think over the two weeks before the Super Bowl we'll see any highlights of the first time that they met on Monday Night Football? Uh, the Rams, yeah, no, the Rams it won't and the be Chiefs. They'll <laughs> never come up. What was it? Seventy-two to seventy-one. Yeah, it was like I think a Big it was Twelve. Con- <laughs> Twenty-one to one hundred and eighteen. What would the over? What would the total? What would the under-over? The over/under be in the in the oh Super Bowl God. if those two teams played? A hundred? <laughs> It'd be the largest. I over think it would be. Well, it's going to be in a dome, so yeah, I mean, it'll yeah. be just as good to chuck it around as it was out there that beautiful night uh, in uh, in L.A. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. All right. What's the game you like? What's the What's the game you'd like to cover? Jason. I mean, I don't know. Maybe Brady Breeze. Okay. All right. You know, but I don't think you can go wrong. Enjoy the championship games. I will try not to misquote you on Twitter uh, this this week. <laughs> oh, good. I don't care if you do. <laughs> Just don't read. Don't read the comments, dude. I don't. I don't even. I don't go back off forth with people anymore. Uh, I'm too old for that stuff. Love you, Jason. Thanks very much. All right. Have a good one, brother. Enjoy uh, the games. All Thanks. right. There he Wait. is, Jason Lockenfora. Interesting stuff about Russell Wilson and the negotiations or lack thereof thus far between the Seahawks and Wilson's people. Jaguar Land Rover of Bellevue is one special dealership, and those aren't just words. For literally 20 years, I've been buying and leasing cars from Jag Land Rover of Bellevue, both Land Rovers and Jags, by the way. I was just looking at their website and reminded how much I love the Jag F-Type SUV. And by the way, there are leases available for the 2019 F-Pace in the 400s per month, 39-month lease, you'd be surprised at just how affordable several models of the Jags and Land Rovers happen to be. And I urge you to stop by and meet the guys and gals over there. Tell them I sent you. Take a little test drive. Peruse their certified pre-owned selection. I've said it for years. It's different at Jaguar Land Rover of Bellevue. Service department is the best whether you got your car there or not. Just off of 520 on Northeast 20th Street in Bellevue, or as I think of it, north of Bway in Bellevue, Jaguar Land Rover of Bellevue. Unfiltered.
know, when our next guest agreed to be on episode, I guess it's number 15, I didn't get too nervous. And then, and then he was named Washington State Sports Writer of the Year. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's one thing, Greg, to have Tacoma News Tribune Seahawks writer Greg Bell on with lots of G's, a couple of E's and a couple of L's. It's another thing entirely to have Washington State Sports Writer of the Year, Greg Bell, on. And I've gotten very, I got a little sweaty palms, and I'm very nervous about this. Yeah, I guess I deserve that. <laughs> Thank you, Mitch. I, I'm only slighted that it's taken 14 other episodes oh. to pass before we can finally catch up. <laughs> you know, all kidding aside, congratulations. I don't know much Thank about you. that award, only because, you know, I've never really been up for the Broadcaster of the Year award, I don't think. <laughs> Um, so tell tell our tell our listeners, um, you know what the award is. What does it mean? When do you get it? Give us a sense of what what you accomplished here. Well, thank you. You're letting me self promote here. The National Association of Sports Media gives the award. It's it's uh, voted on by media members from around the state. Every state has a broadcast winner and a sports writer winner every year. And there are national winners this year. There include Doris Burke, the fantastic basketball commentator for ESPN ABC. Yeah. Uh, Mike Doc Emmerich, made, made the preeminent hockey announcer of his time. Uh, there's some uh, Hall of Fame inductees to the National Association of Sports Media this year. There's Bob Lee, um, Tony Kornheiser. So there's some pretty big names that I'm excited to talk to and be with and Wake Forest University, Winston-Salem, North Carolina, in June nice. 22nd through the 24th. Nice. Like, uh, yeah. that's, that's fantastic. Couldn't happen to a nicer guy. And no, I, I think I that. think it really leads to the next goal, which, it, which is for Greg Bell, I think, and that's to win – the writer and broadcaster award in the same year. I want you to. I want you to sweep the state of Washington one year because we all know about your 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 newish broadcast exploits, which you're also equally adept at doing. Well, well, thank you, but Mitch, I need to stay on this for a few more regular rounds before I even get considered. <laughs> the, the great Dave Sims, a gentleman of his of his profession and a great professional, great pro, it was the broadcaster year. What of his work on the Seahawks, I mean the Mariners, excuse me, um, yeah. for Washington in 2018. But um, Kevin Calabro, for instance, has won it, I think, in nine times in Washington, just won it for the first time in Oregon for his work wow. by play on what's, the Blazers. What's he ever done? I mean, what's <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, no, it, uh, it's an honor to be even on the same marquee billing of any of those guys. Uh, and, uh, well, congratulations. That's, that's awesome. That's awesome for you. And I've gotten to know you a little bit over the years. I can still recall, I kind of tell this story every once in a while, going into the boss's office and saying, we got to have Greg Bell on the show, and we got to have him on regularly. And then the Seahawks at seven was born, and you've taken the ball and run from there. Let's let's go back because you and I haven't had the opportunity to visit in a long time. Uh, I'm thrilled it. thrilled to hear your voice and thrilled to have you. Thank you so much. Likewise, let's, excited let's, to be here. Let's go back and just answer the question: What happened? I know it's kind of a simple question, and I'm a man of simple questions, but. You know, they and no one cares about results of preseason games, but the Seahawks lost all four and in the process didn't show anything that led anybody to believe this was coming. And then they go out on the road the first couple of games. They lose the first two, right? And so it, it just looks it reeks of five eleven, five and eleven, six and ten, and then 
something happens, and most people say the offensive line and the run game happens. What does Greg Bell think happens after those first two regular season games? Well, Mitch, as you know, Pete Carroll tells us a million things during any given season, and he has his way of being very vague. He says a lot of words that don't always say a lot of everything. But the most important and telling thing he said all season long, all year really, was in mid-October he said, you know what, I overestimated how improved we would be this season in pass protection. I thought I overestimated how improved we got over the offseason and preseason uh, with DJ Fluker, Mike Solari coming in as the new line coach, a new system, a new way of evaluating talent for the offensive line, a new way to block. He said, I overestimated how good we'd be in pass protection. It, it woke him up hard at Denver and at Chicago that they weren't good. And to this day, including through Dallas, which we can talk about as well, they are not good at pass protecting when defenses know they have to throw when they have not established the run. I know that's a bugaboo word for a lot of analytics people, but establishing the run was the key to passing for the Seahawks this year. They are still not equipped on the offensive line to throw when teams know they have to throw when they haven't made defenses play them honestly. So what happened in week three against Dallas, they finally had a defense playing honestly. The the Cowboys had to defend the run 32 times against Chris Carson that day, September 23rd. Carson gained 103 yards, 102 yards. It took him 32 carries to do it. He just got three yards of carry. Yet the Seahawks won the game because they were able to make enough plays down the field to Tyler Lockett, Russell Wilson having enough time to throw. And that's really where the change happened. Finally, in that week three game when they were 0-2 for the home opener, Pete Carroll finally put to practice what he'd been promising since changing the staff in January, bringing in Schottenheimer, bringing in Solari, that we were going to run the ball. And after passing 73% of the time the first two games and losing both, after Russell Wilson was the most sacked quarterback in the league at 12 times in two weeks, they finally started running the ball, and that set them up to do what they wanted to do down the field passing and therefore got them 10 wins in 14 right. games. And also got them, I think, the moniker of Russell Wilson being the highest-rated quarterback through the air when working in play action, right? I think that's the number. Right. I think he was the right. top play action rated quarterback in the league, and it speaks to your to your thoughts, which is when he's faking like he's going to run and defenses are have to play them honestly, that's when he's great down the field. Okay, so they turn it around, and they give us this out-of-nowhere 10-6 and six season, and Seahawks fans love the season. We don't like how it ended, obviously, but – we have this season, and now you're left to try to wonder, okay, how much of a harbinger of things to come was this season? Like Joel Joel Corey said to me on the previous episode, he said, they're a year ahead of where they thought they'd be as a result of the 10-6. and six. And I don't want to be Mr. Skeptic, but I need to ask the question. Are they a year ahead of where they want to be? Is this... Does this mean they've got great young talent and they're moving in the right direction? Or is it possible, you know, they gained exactly the same amount of yards offensively as they gave up. And some might say that reeks of an 8-8 eight and eight football team. Uh, they overachieved a 10-6. and six. What does this year mean to 2019 in terms of taking the next step, do you think? Well, Mitch, I think they're ahead of where they thought they might be offensively, especially in offensive line play. If they can bring Sweezy and Fluker back, whose contracts are ending and they plan on re-upping. 
but they may not be as far along defensively as they thought they'd be. Uh, they were so, so dependent on getting turnovers this season. Oh, yeah. Gave up a lot of yards, as you mentioned, as many yeah. yards as they gained. Gave up a lot of points. And generally, now there are exceptions, but generally they didn't win unless they got turnovers. And they were really dependent. They got some really timely turnovers in the red zone. I can think of the Carolina game, an interception in the end zone by Ben Dugald, who was brilliant this year, by the way. But they they weren't a defense that you can rely on. It was a defense that had to get turnovers to keep themselves from getting scored upon and an offense from having to outscore teams. So that's not the way Pete Carroll wants to play, of course. He wants to control games with his defense. He right. wants to right. field position dominated. Right. That's not the defense he has. Uh, and I think that's the biggest okay. need for the Seahawks is fixing okay. that. Okay, so where do you fix it? Uh, do you fix it on the defensive line? Do you get better corners? Um, the linebackers, uh, obviously you start by trying to get Frank Clark back either by signing him to a long-term deal or franchising him. What does Greg Bell, what's the recipe for improving the defense to be more of a Pete Carroll-like defense instead of depending upon that turnover? Mitch, I think fundamentally it's stopping the run. They got to start there. They weren't consistent and good enough at doing that. They're terrible. They were, they were with, one of the worst in the league in the yards per carry run run defense, right? So Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And if teams ran the ball as much as they ran it against other teams, the Seahawks would have probably lost more games. Right. It's just a passing league right now. But they have to stop the run better to, to control field position, to make it third and eight and nine instead of third and two and three against them. And that's why there were such long drives against the Seahawks this year. I think it starts in the middle. As great as Jerron Reed was, they need another one or three defensive tackles that can stop the run. And they've missed guys like Brandon Meebane yeah. and Tom Johnson and yeah. uh, guys that stopped the run and were unsung guys for them. Uh, you can make an argument that those are the pillars of their defense that sometimes are the most important ones. And they don't get the numbers. They don't get the big contracts. They're the kind of expendable uh, middle of March, end of March pickups that people don't think much about that they're really important to this team. Shamar Steven is an example of that. He wasn't quite the guy they thought he'd be against the run this year. They're probably going to let him go after a one-year deal. They need to get a guy that does the me-bane-type role over the nose and controls gaps and controls blockers and keeps him off Bobby Wagner to make it long yardage and not give up four and a half, five yards of carry. I think that's really the difference between the Pete Carroll Super Bowl teams and the defenses that he has now. Regardless of Legion of Boom and all that other, yeah. whether they're going to bring K.J. Wright back or not, it starts up front with yeah. the run. Yeah, so where do they do that? Do they do that in the draft, or do they do that in free? Well, As you point out, you can sometimes get a nice a nice run-stuffing veteran late in free agency. I don't know that you want to rely on that, though. Right, right. No, that, that should be the augment. I think defensive line help in general, but defensive tackle is an area they're going to target early in the draft. The problem, of course, right now is they only have four picks. The fewest of their regime, Carol Schneider, look for them to make deals and try to get more picks. They always do. But when you only have four picks, what are you going to prioritize? I think the line of scrimmage and the defensive tackle position is one of those right now. Uh, Greg Bell is with us. He's the National Washington Sports Writer of the Year for the Tacoma <laughs> News Tribune. Um, no, I love that. I love that. And so, uh, Greg, um, on the off, you mentioned the offensive line. Help us prioritize the reasons for the turnaround in the run game and the run blocking. There's a lot of things that go into this. Is it – can you can you list them in order of most important, least important? Uh, throw in uh, the new offensive line coach. You mentioned Sweezy and Fluker. How much of an involvement 
is that? Uh, was it Carson? Was it just the, 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 the change in offensive philosophy to trying to pound the ball? Which of these factors were the most contributing factors, in your estimation, for the run-blocking offensive line? So what I saw, Mitch, starting in, in mini camps, I just saw him coming off the ball straight at the guy over him and putting him on the ground. And it, would be, it was as simple as that. No more shucking and jiving and, and, and the zone read with angles and athleticism and former defensive tackles and former college basketball players becoming the offensive line. None of that. It was DJ Fluker, sign on the dotted line and then put the guy in front of you into the ground. Drive him four yards off the ball. J.R. Sweezy, let's sign you. You go do that too. And linemen love that. They, they, they don't love to do shading and angles and having to time their blocks with the running back who makes a cut. It's beautiful when it works. It's, it's, it's almost like ballet when it works. Right. But it's not how, it's not how offensive linemen are raised. You know, it's, it's like asking a dog to not chase that squirrel in the park. The, the offensive lineman wants to get the guy in front of him and put him on the ground and pancake him and then get the oohs and ahs in the film room. That's what they're bred to do. This year they finally did that. And they had an offensive line coach in Mike Solari who teach that. Now, they still did zone concepts. They did a lot of zone on the backside of frontside man on blocking. But I talked to guys like Fluker, Dwayne Brown, J.R. Sweezy. They said they love this. They've been un- unburdened and okay. freed okay. to go get their guys. Okay, so how important is it that it's Fluker and Sweezy that are going straight ahead and trying to knock the guy's head off? Could that be anybody? And which brings up the idea and the importance of re-signing both of those two guys. Is it the philosophy of going to beat the guy in front of you, or is it Fluker and, and Sweezy? Well, it's both because it's the philosophy first, and then it's going to get Fluker and Sweezy to be the junkyard dogs to do it. The reason why those guys become more important to re-sign, Mitch, is because, even though they're 30 and 30-plus with injury histories, both of them, is the college football offensive lineman isn't that way anymore, right? Right. He just reads he reads cartoon characters on play cards on the sidelines and right. stays in a two right. point stance standing right. up. Right. So right. It, it's harder. It takes too long to turn those guys into the guys the Seahawks now want. So you need guys like Fluker and Sweezy to do it. And uh, Jordan Ruse is on the practice squad. He's somewhat like that, but yet was in an offensive spread system in Purdue. But they're hard to come by, which is why I think it's more important to re-sign those guys than it is to, say, draft somebody to try to fit that mold. Greg, Jason LaConfora, the CBS NFL insider, is on this episode with you, and he says his information is that there's been virtually no discussions or negotiations on a new deal for Russell Wilson, at least at this point. And he, he speculates, look, as, as Wilson gets closer and closer to that magical, I can see what's out there, situation it's going to be harder and harder to re-sign him um others have floated the number 35 million a year which scares me because the top six paid quarterbacks in 2018 you might know this greg none of them made the playoffs because it's so hard so hard to build within the salary cap a team around them um what do you how do you think this plays out between the Seahawks and Russell Wilson. You think it gets done, a huge mega deal gets done before game one of the 2019 season? I'm not sure it's going to be that soon, Mitch. I will say, Lock and Four is right. I've heard nothing that nothing has started, no indications it will, but that it will during this offseason. I will tell you this about this situation. There is no plan B for the Seahawks beyond Russell Wilson, a quarterback. Not as long as John Schneider and Pete Carroll are running the regime, which right now is through 2022 and 2021 respectively, at least that long. There is no other quarterback for them. They cast their lot 
their Seahawks soul got cast with Russell Wilson that third preseason game in 2012 with the Chiefs yep. when they said, you're our guy. And he started since day one. They go to the playoffs. They think they should have won that Atlanta game. Then Super Bowls in consecutive years after that. And they're like, oh, this is our guy. Yep. Whatever it's going to take, let's resign. We'll resign him for the second best contract to Aaron Rodgers in 2015. And now that's outdated, of course. So they knew what this market was going to be. They knew that Aaron Rodgers and Matt Ryan were going to re-sign this year, and they knew what that market would be set by those deals, that it would be north of $30 million. None of this is a surprise to the Seahawks, and they know it's going to take $33 million at least. Rodgers makes $33.5 million average per year. Now, there's, as you know, many other ways to calculate contract value. The easiest apple-to-apple comparison is average per year, but there's cash up for the first three years, guaranteed at signing, guaranteed against injury. All of those metrics, Russell Wilson's probably going to set the new benchmark for. He's the premier quarterback with a contract up in the next 18 months. It's going to take at least $33.5 million a year to, so that he will be the highest paid. It'll take $100 million guaranteed, and the Seahawks know it. Everything else we hear, and whether Wilson will think about looking elsewhere, grass might be green, it's leverage. Baseball going to spring training, leverage. <laughs> it's, it's Russell Wilson and the Seahawks. It's just a matter of getting the number done, and it's going to be the highest paid. It's just the combination of how much is guaranteed. Okay, Greg, so I have Jason Lockenfora in my ear right now. He's not with us, but I, I can hear what he would be saying to you or asking you had he just listened to that. So I'm going to, I'm going to, try, to try to verbalize that. He would say, okay, if the Seahawks have, have, have decided this is our guy and they have no plan B – why are they not having discussions like Green Bay did with Aaron Rodgers a couple of years before? Maybe not signing them, but having communication, starting the process. Why are we one year from free agency, a potential, let's say franchise tag, and yet the Seahawks, who have no plan B, have not, had, have not engaged in good conversation with Russell Wilson and his people just yet? I think it's a matter of days and weeks rather than we're not, this isn't something that's going to be an issue once it's spring becomes summer. They will have talked and Mark Rogers will have given them a number and they will be hashing it out. Okay. Um, I'm not ruling it out that it won't get done before training camp. I just I wouldn't count on it. It was done the second day of training camp the last time going into his uh, final year of his deal. John Schneider has said before, third contracts are things he doesn't want to set and have precedence on. Earl Thomas proved that. So this is a different deal than the last time for him. But I wouldn't read too much into the fact that nothing's going on at the moment. Seahawks also have the Frank Clark situation staring him in the face before uh, free agency begins March 13th. That's yeah, priority yeah. one right yeah, now. Oh, yeah. So oh, yeah, yeah. it's going to be at least till after that before you uh, start okay. talking to Wilson. Okay. A couple last ones for Greg Bell, who I'm visiting with for the first time in a long time, and it's great to have him on Mitch Unfiltered. Um, Doug Baldwin. There was some scuttlebutt, if you watch social media, uh, in the days leading up to the Cardinals game, the last game of the season, that, oh, you know, he's had an injury-plagued year or two, and he's getting tired of being hurt, and is this a possibility? Is it a possibility that we're seeing Doug Baldwin play his final home game? I never bought that, but I'll, I'll throw the ball to you as Russell throws to 89. What's Baldwin's future, and what's the future of the wide receiver position, Greg? I think Baldwin's staying. I think he wants to continue playing. I don't. I think he thinks he's not done yet. That the end of his season showed him and the team that he still got it. That the, to him this year was a wash. Injuries at both knees. He had elbow issues. He had groin issues. Shoulder. He'd never been hurt like he was this year. He missed his first games in six and a half years. 
I think he can justifiably chalk this up to the low productivity to this injuries. And he had seven catches, 124 yards in December game and said, ah, here I am. I'm back. I think that's going to propel him into the next season. Beyond that, I'm not sure. He has hinted strongly that he has so many other interests outside of football that he wants to make an impact in life and society through social justice, through maybe even politics. He hasn't ruled that out either, that it wouldn't surprise me if he's on the very near end of his playing years. I I think it'd be a a shock if he doesn't play in 2019. But uh, I think uh, sooner than later, we'll be seeing the end of Doug Baldwin's career. He hasn't told me that, but he has strongly hinted that he's got interest elsewhere. I think he'd be great in society. Okay. I think we all believe that. Um, How about the future of the corner back position? Are you convinced that Griffin and Flowers are the one-two pairing at corner that uh, takes this team to the next level? Griffin had a very poor day, I thought, in Dallas. Yep. Um, Flowers was was good at times, and he and he fits the prototype that Carroll really likes in body body structure at that position. Uh, what are they going to do? Are they going to go to the go to the gate with those two guys, or are they going to look to improve that position? I think they're going to shop around and, and look to improve. Of course, it's a commodity that's hard to find because it's a, it's maybe the toughest position in sports, including quarterback, because of the rules against corners. I'm with you. I thought Shaquille Griffin, Shaquille Griffin did not have a very good end of season in that Dallas game, especially missed tackles, missed the coverages. He didn't admit he was playing hurt, but he was hurt in December, and that could have been a part of that. Trey Flowers I thought was great. Uh, he was better than I think they thought he would be right out of the gates in the summer and into September playing corner for the first time. For now, Mitch, I think those guys are their guys because – it's hard to find corners that play Pete Carroll's system. We've seen it over and over again. And the step kick technique is just something that is hard for players that are other systems from the league, veterans to come in and relearn an entirely new system, which is why they like to bring young guys up. Right, right. Therefore, I think they wouldn't go the free agent route so much as staying with those guys right now. And what about Shaquille's brother, Shaquem Griffin? There was no bigger story in the offseason, maybe in the NFL. Uh, right. Once he was drafted, he came. he comes in, he's great in the camps, um, and then he struggles. He struggles in the uh, in the opening game. I think that was the opening game in Denver. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to remember. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Um, and now you know it's a it's a difficult situation. Um, do you think he comes on in his second year? Do you think they uh, they have to reevaluate what he's what he can give them? What, what a, and, and the PR of this makes it a very delicate and difficult situation for them. It is, Mitch, and they were delicate in talking about him the rest of the season, but the fact is they benched him 15 minutes into his NFL debut. He was the starting weak side linebacker when K.J. Wright was coming off the knee issue in, in Denver, and he was too eager. He was trying to make every play. He wasn't in his run gaps. He was running all over the defense. The Broncos were exploiting him, and they benched him. They put Austin Calitro, a backup middle linebacker, in for him, and then they signed Michael Kendricks, who was facing and still is facing a prison sentence, and he started the first game after signing. That's how much they couldn't afford to put Shaquem Griffin in at weak side linebacker. He only played four snaps the rest of the year, Mitch, wow. at weak side linebacker. Wow. So, so he's not ready. And I don't think he's going to be ready by the time the season starts. Therefore, you got an issue there. Do you, you resign KJ Wright? Can you cut him? Well, you could, but you wouldn't, right? Right, right? Not just because it's only a second year, but because of the story and the PR right, and the right. No, they wouldn't cut him. And 
nor would they want to alienate and infuriate his bro- twin brother, who happens to be a starter at a hugely important position, Shaquille. So no, they wouldn't cut him. And, and you don't give up on a kid in only the second year of his four-year rookie deal that you just drafted anyway. So there's time for him to develop. But in the immediacy, what do you do with Michael Kendricks is facing a prison sentence? Is it going to be months? Is it going to be years? They, we learned today they won't find that out now until April 4th. His hearing was supposed to be in Pennsylvania January 25th. If, if he gets a sentence for insider trading of just months, the Seahawks conceivably could bring him back, and Pete Carroll has said they want to bring him back for 2019. If they do that, then they don't need K.J. Wright, which personally to me would hurt. He's a great dude, one of yeah. the best guys I've yeah. met in sports. Love him. I wish he was coming back, but at age 29 with injury history and playing, missing all but five games – I could see them walking away from that like they did Earl Thomas. So they have a decision at weak side linebacker, and right now it's Michael Kendricks they're counting on to not be in prison for a long time, as as cold as that sounds. That's yeah. really maybe yeah. where they're at. Greg, you're the best. Thank you. It's an no, honor. You I, jo- I, I joke about the honor, but it's an honor well-deserved. I'm really happy Thanks. and proud of you, happy for you, proud of you. And I can't tell you how much I've appreciated you being willing to be a partner of mine over the years and uh, in this kind of new venture. So uh, I hope that you won't Thank be you. a stranger. You won't have I to won't. you won't have to wait another 15 episodes before I call <laughs> before I'm calling. You may want to take your phone off the hook because I'll be calling now that I know that I can call. I'll uh, count on that and and I'm happy to hear you back on on airwaves of any kind and you're one of the best in the country to do it. I've missed talking to you. Uh, it, it isn't the same, let me tell you that, when I get up at 7 o'clock every morning. So thank, thank, you, thank you for having me on. Thank you, Greg. Talk to you soon. The Seahawks with a lot of work this offseason. Okay, so who's in? Super Bowl Sunday. The brand new location of Zeke's Pizza on Mercer Street in Capitol Hill, on Capitol Hill. I told Dan Black that I'd like to go if he was okay with it and invite listeners and supporters to join me so that I can say hello and say thanks Thanks to all of you that have been so warm and willing to offer me a second chance. He said that the new Capitol Hill location would be perfect. Max, what do you say? You in? No, Dad. I'm watching the game here. Come on, Max. It'll be fun. You'll hang with your dad. Come on. (laughs) Okay, I'll think about it, Dad. But under no circumstances am I rooting for Tom Brady. Okay, Max. So if you can get away from the house or the neighbor's Super Bowl party, please stop by. The best place to watch a game, enjoy a craft beer or two, if you're of age. And, of course, the best pizza in the Northwest. Dan has promised that he will figure out some nice specials for the Mitch Unfiltered guests. And I'm thinking we can get a Super Bowl pool going, maybe some squares or something exotic. But you have to be there before kickoff to be in the pools. If you can't join us, Zeke's delivers. 206-285-8646. Zeke's Pizza. Homegrown in the Northwest. Unfiltered. All right, final segment of episode number, I guess it's 15. Jason Hamilton back from London, but at home, getting reacclimated to his family and uh, getting ready to to, to resume regular life here in the Pacific Northwest. Thanks to Jason Lockenfora and Greg Bell. Greg Bell, the Washington State Sports Writer of the Year, does a great job with the Tacoma News Tribune on the Seahawks. It was Lockenfora who is who is suggesting that the longer the Seahawks and Wilson go without addressing this brand new contract extension, 
it could get a little bit dicier. He might want to see, Jason, where he stands on the open market. I think if he ever were to hit the open market, it would be craziness, right? The whole world right. uh, the whole world would want him. Um, Lock and Four is thinking maybe up to $40 million a year it's going to cost the Seahawks to get this done now that he's entering the lame duck year of his contract. Well, I think it's one thing to, to get it done. It's another thing to get it done with such a huge number. I mean, listen, does the guy deserve it? Is that what the market bears? Absolutely. Um, But I I thought it was interesting, you know, some of the top paid quarterbacks in the league, uh, maybe say for Tom Brady, you know, who has has restructured and deferred money and done all that stuff, you know, are not making the playoffs. Once you start to, once you start to go down that route, it, it becomes really interesting to have to, figure out the salary cap for the rest of the roster. So, I mean, it's, it, not only is it fascinating, like what Jason Lock and Forrest said about, um, you know, getting to that year and that lame dunk year, it, it's also fascinating from the standpoint of even if you get it done, how does it affect the team moving well, forward? Well, if you get it done, the extension, you can do it in such a way where it's not a killer against the cap the way you work the monies. The problem that they have is if Russell Wilson's baseball agents say, you know what, nah, we're not going. We're going to play out 2019, and they force the Seahawks' hand to franchise. Well, then that's where it becomes really problematic because I don't know what the top five at the position or top three at the position, whatever it is, that number, that salary cap number for 2020, if it's a franchise tag, would be like, you know, 35 million dollars, 33 million dollars yeah. against the cap for one right. year, which is craziness. So the Seahawks, and obviously Wilson's people know the Seahawks can't afford to let that happen because it would really tie their hands up to do anything with the rest of the roster. So in order to not get to that situation, what's the premium? Not only do they have to make him the highest paid quarterback maybe of all time, but what's the premium on top of that? How much guaranteed, how much upfront money to allow the Seahawks to do a a long-term deal that spaces the money out and doesn't cost them the you know the thirty five million sure. against the cap for one year. That's the question. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. We're going to find out what the answer is. Anyway, uh, some things that we missed. You know that this coming Tuesday is a big day in the world of Seattle baseball. The results of the Hall of Fame are going to be announced on Tuesday, and. Our guy Edgar Martinez is is down to his last strike, mm-hmm. his last chance. He's got to be on seventy five percent of the Hall of Fame ballots. And there's a guy named Ryan Thibodeau, I think I pronounced that right, who does a tweet. He does a website called uh, BBH Tracker. I hope I have that right. And I contacted him, and he told me, and he, it's on his website that Edgar at 44% of the ballots that are known, so we know about almost half of the Hall of Fame ballots, he is appearing on 91% of the first 44% of the ballots that have been tracked by Thibodeau and his team of of Baseball Hall of Fame trackers. So so, Got to like that. Got to like that trend. Yeah. Edgar's in good shape as of now. I... I actually sent out a note to Ryan and asked him if mathematically he's just about in. I don't want to give him the Levy jinx. And he said mathematically he's not in. It could still go wrong for him, but he's in, a quote, according to Thibodeau, very, very good shape at the moment. Yeah. So it looks like 
if all things continue to go down the right path, Edgar Martinez is finally going to find himself in baseball's Hall of Fame. Manny Machado, $175 million offer over seven years. Do the math on that from the Chicago White Sox. And I thought I would read a uh, an email that I'm getting. I'm getting lots of emails now because I'm tweeting out the email address for people who would have requests or want us to discuss something or have certain guests on. Uh, you know, requests for Mitch Unfiltered. We have an email address uh, that you can do it through the website at MitchUnfiltered.com. All you got to do is hit the contact button. And any note that you send will come directly to me. Here's one that says, Mitch, welcome back. Love hearing you again. I would love to hear the story again. Not sure that I exactly remember it correctly. While in college, you guys used to call each other using the old collect call process and would either say yes or no to the call depending upon the score of the game. Now, this guy, his name is Mike. A listener uh-huh. since 1995. He uh-huh. is he is referring to, I believe, an old story that I've told a few times on the air. You may or may not have heard it about our 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 gambling cartel at Syracuse University in the uh, in the late late 80s. Uh, you, car- you had a cartel going. Well, so we were students, sports fans, sports geeks. A lot of us were in the communication school trying to become sports broadcasters, and we were all convinced, of course, we knew more about sports than anybody else, right, as students right. of the of Syracuse course. University Newhouse School of Communications. And we had about six or seven or eight or nine guys that just looked at each other like, come on, we know sports better than anybody. We should be able to make a fortune. See, I know that a lot of people in our audience have gone through this phase. You probably didn't because you were an athlete, but – you go through the phase where if you're a real, real observer of sports where you say to yourself, I can make money doing this. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm laughing. That, like, this is a real phase, huh? Uh, yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everybody who's okay. a big, big fan of sports thinks at one time or another, I know so much about sports that I'm not n- the normal sports gambler. I can, I can do this. I could probably make a living. I don't have to go to work. Okay. I can make a okay. living. And we went through that phase at Syracuse. There were about eight or ten of us. And we decided we were going to pool our money together and form a cartel, a wagering cartel. And uh, <laughs> I don't know how much money it was. Maybe and none of us had any money. We were college kids. Maybe, maybe we each put 50 bucks in in, in 1986 or 87. Yeah. Uh, and maybe so maybe we had, you know, 500 bucks in the pot and there were eight or 10 guys. And, yeah. we, and we started, you know, having nightly meetings uh, where are we going to Oh, yeah, because this was basketball season. So we were having nightly me- meetings right. as to what we were going to wager, how we were going to wager and how we gonna, and we got off to a pretty good start. We start making a little bit of money. The money's growing. We hit one here, hit another one there, missed one here. And we're having these meetings like we're going to grow this into a, a full fledged. We don't even need degrees. We're going to we're going right. to we're going to make this into a full fledged <laughs> business, the cartel. And yeah. so we got to the point where we decided to go for broke and essentially put whatever we had left on one regular season NBA basketball game in 1986. Oh, my. We all decided that the Dallas Mavericks of 1986 with Mark Aguirre and Rolando Blackman and and James Donaldson, Tarpley might have been on that team. We decided... Brad Davis. Well, Brad was replaced by my guy, Derek Harper, at the time. Right. And we just decided that on a random Tuesday night that they were going to beat the Sacramento Kings by more than three and a half points. They were three and a half point favorites. 
in Sacramento. And All so right. the game started at 10.30 Syracuse time. And yeah. we're looking around on a Tuesday night for a place that has one of those huge, you know, there's no such thing as little satellite direct TVs. Well, none of that. No. You had to find no. a place that had one of those big, huge satellite dishes. Yeah, the- that could reach E.T. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, I know a- what you're talking about. Okay. Take up your whole front lawn. Right. So we're calling yeah. around because we have to go somewhere to see this game. This is our, this is our life savings. I mean, this is the cartel. Yeah. This is the... The future of the cartel. So we start yeah. calling around Syracuse bars and restaurants. We can't find anybody. We find a couple that have these big satellites, but they're closing down at 11, so the 10.30 game doesn't really help us on a Tuesday night. So we can't find any place where we can watch our money grow because this, this was a lead pipe cinch. This was a five-star lock. <laughs> okay. All right. So... We don't know what to do. It's 1986. There's no cell phones. There's no internet. This is true. There's no internet. There's no ESPN.com. There's no way to track the game. And then it dawns on me that the guy that I've mentioned so often in the past on this unfiltered, Roger, the golfer from Florida that went to high school, he went to to SMU. Where's SMU? In Dallas. In Dallas. And... He's going to have the game at least on the radio, maybe on TV. I don't remember if the Mavericks were on TV or what have you. And somehow we could have Roger update us on the game, on the progress of the game. But we, we couldn't afford long distance. It was long distance phone calls. I mean, this was no sure. cell phone. Okay. And I had a speaker phone. I had a little phone, a brown phone in my dorm room, 1986, that had a speaker phone on it. And here's what we're going to do. I came up with a plan that Roger, I'm going to call Roger, and we're going to come up with a chart. And if, let's say, Dallas is leading by two to five, that's going to go with the name Charlie. And if they're, <laughs> if they're, leading, if they're, if they're leading by six to nine, that's, yeah. that's going to be Frankie. And if they're leading by ten, and, and so we had this chart of like eight or ten names, and we also had names, obviously, if Sacramento were leading – by right, so-and-so, right. Because, but, but we didn't have to worry about those names because this was a lead pipe cinch. Right. And so, um, and, the, and the instructions were the Roger, Roger was going to call every five minutes because we had no way of tracking how the game was going. He was going to call collect every yeah. five minutes and the operator was going to say, collect call from Joey, will you right. accept the call? And I was going to immediately, I was going to put it on the speaker We'd hear the name. We had the chart up on my closet door. We taped. Uh-huh. We taped it up, and of course, I would, I would not accept the collect call. Sure. But but by knowing the name, it would tell us what the status of the game was. <laughs> so eight of us, ten of us, are in this little this little dorm room in Syracuse, New York, in 1986, and the phone keeps ringing, and the collect and the ladies on there saying, "Collect call from Frankie. Will you accept the call?" And I'd say no. And all of a sudden, you'd hear like a loud, yeah, yeah, <laughs> woo, woo. And, and we'd say no. And then two, five minutes later, collect call from Joey. Will you accept the, yeah, oh, no, no. Because the, the lead dish was shrinking. Yeah. And would you accept the call? No, we wouldn't. And this went on for two hours. Ten guys standing around oh, a, my a, goodness. A, a, a speakerphone getting collect calls and rejecting the calls from different people until such time 
as they were like one minute, we were right on the cusp of three and a half. We had Dallas minus three and a half, and it was right in that neighborhood. It was nip and tuck. And so the phone, we knew it was really, really late in the game. And so Roger called long distance the last time. He did not call collect. Mm-hmm. We thought it was going to be a collect call. We pick up the phone, and it's like, Mitch? I'm like, Roger, you're supposed to call collect. He says, I just thought you'd want to hear the last 30 seconds. They're down to 30 seconds, and it's like a four-point game. And I'm just going to put the phone down next to the radio and allow, yeah. you to, and allow you guys to listen on the speaker. And I kid you not, Dallas is up four. Dallas is on the free throw line. We got it covered by a half. I don't remember who it was. Black, some probably 90% free throw shooter. He misses the free throws. Sacramento gets the ball, but they're down four. The game is over. The announcer's like, the game's over. And Sacramento flips it in at the buzzer. It'll make it a two-point game. (laughs) And the Mavericks have won in Sacramento, 113 to 111. And the eight of us just like, ugh. And we stormed out of the room. We forgot Roger was on the phone. I come back and I hear, Mitch, hello, hello. And uh, that's the story of uh, the cartel. The cartel disbanded. Uh, after that particular uh, night, that was the last game that we wagered on in cartel history. Yeah, I was going to say somehow I, I could see the uh, the lack of a future in that deal for you guys. Well, we went broke. Is the lack of the future? We went broke. Well, yeah, on, you put it. Yeah, yeah you put it. You you rode the, you rode the horse off for the one for the one game, and it was over. But I say you guys didn't try to re up. You were done. And if that story doesn't tell you the difference of the times of 1986 versus oh. 2019. The fact that we could not follow an NBA game score anywhere, let alone see the game. We could not follow a score anyway. We needed to go through this process of collect phone calls to be able to find out scores of a, of a basketball game. Do you think times yeah. have changed just a little bit, Jason? Well, I do. Clearly you don't because when I was in London, you, you didn't think that they had a telephone nor I could follow anything over there. But, yeah, I, you know, that, uh, times, have, times have progressed. That's it. Uh, Thanks to uh, Zeke's Pizza, uh, homegrown in the Northwest. Thanks to Daniel's Broiler, world-class steakhouses, and, of course, Jaguar Land Rover of Bellevue. Episode number 15 is in the books.